Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. We're invading airwaves. Hold up, why them haters mad? Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Yes, y'all. Yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool, and this is another edition of Cool Radio. And we have a lot to get to on tap for today's episode, or this week's episode, I should say. Um, Let's see here. (laughs) There is quite a bit to discuss on, on this week's episode. We got to discuss the locks versus dip set in the versus battle for the ages. We got to talk about Kanye West basically staying at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium for his Donda uh, album listening session. And, of course, we got to talk about my man Nas, who just dropped uh, the sequel to King's Disease, which is entitled King Disease 2. So we're going to get into that. A little little mini-review, if you will. Mini-review. Not so much in-depth as I normally do it, but a little mini-review. So we got to get into that. We also got to get into the baby. You already know we got to talk about that. I'm going to save that for the mic check segment because there's a lot to dive into that one as well. But before we get to all of that, you already know that I got something to get off of my chest. So on that note, it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. So I think we're on week two, maybe week three since the last pod that I did. And the funny thing is last week I was actually going to give you guys a pod and I was basically going to be talking about a myriad of different things here and there. But for the most part, I would say it was a slow news week, but I was going to give you something anyway. But then the moment Monday came along, oh my God, so much was happening. Whether it was, you know, the baby, whether it was the Olympics, whether it was the, um, the, sorry, I'm losing my mind right now. Uh, the versus battle, like there's so many things were coming in in droves. And this is just on the Monday or Tuesday at the latest. And when all that was happening, I said, you know what? I'm scrapping this one. This one's going into the vault, never to be heard by the public. And I'm going to give you something new. All right. I'm going to give you something new for the, for the following week. Now, with all that said, there were a lot of things that I would have loved to have covered in depth. So I'll just do a quick run through, quick one run through of what happened. So Giannis won the NBA championship. We know this. This was like what three weeks ago, I think. So congrats, congrats to Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, congrats to the Raptors on drafting Scotty Barnes with the fourth overall pick. I'm sure he's going to do very fine with the team. Uh, let's see here. What else? Uh, recently, this is actually recent. Congratulations to Team USA who won gold at the Tokyo Olympics. And as far as basketball goes, that's about it. As far as things that I just want to skim through. Oh, and one more thing. Ben Simmons is a human tool. 
I just want to put that out there. I already did my rant on Ben Simmons a few weeks back when he when he completely shat the bed in the playoffs. Uh, he says he doesn't want to come and play for Toronto because he sees it as a quote unquote bad situation for his socialite life, and he is just an, yet another example of certain players within this generation of the NBA who want to be in the NBA not because of their will and desire to play basketball at the highest level, but because of the lifestyle that it can afford them. They want to be more known as influencers and 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 socialites as opposed to being a competitive player. And Ben Simmons is part of that ilk, and we don't want that with the Raptors anyway, so he can go screw himself for all I care. So, bun of Ben Simmons. Anyways, I'm going to just leave it at that. But what I really wanted to get into, which is the most important thing that I want to get to, is that Kyle Lowry is a Raptor no more. You heard it right, folks. Kyle Lowry is no longer a member of the Toronto Raptors. Earlier this week, he agreed to a sign-in trade that sent him to the Miami Heat. And in return, we get Goran Dragic and Precious Achua. Shout out to my fellow Nigel man. Hey. But um, how I feel about this is, is this. I'm not surprised this is happening. In fact, I basically prepared myself for that from earlier this year back in, what was it, February or March, whenever the trade deadline was, when the Raptors were doing bad. And it looked like we were just going to do a fire sale of our most treasured assets, with Lowry being the most coveted out of them all. We always say goodbye to Norm. And me being a lifelong Raptors fan, this is nothing new for me. I've seen very talented players come and go, whether they were like above average who could who had a bit of potential in them, or if they're a flat out bona fide superstars. You know, I saw Damon Stoudemire leave after two and a half seasons with the Raptors. I saw Tracy McGrady leave when he was just about to hit his stride as an NBA player. Of course, we saw Vince Carter leave when he was at the peak of superstardom. Chris Bosh left and joined the big three in Miami. I, I've, I've seen the story play out over and over and over again. I mean, hell, even DeMar DeRozan got traded, you know. Mind you, he wanted to stay here, but we had to say goodbye to him. And then, of course, last year, or not last year, but two years ago, Kawhi decided to leave, even after winning an NBA championship with the Raptors and winning the finals MVP award. So I've seen the story before. I've seen it before. And so for Larry to go, I'm not shocked. I wasn't even sad. I wasn't even sad. I don't know. Maybe I'm just numb to it at this point, or I, I just feel desensitized because th- this is par for the course when it comes to the, to the Toronto Raptors. You know, we have great players. They stay here for a few years and then they end up leaving. Now, I'm not going to blame Larry for leaving because Larry wants to be competitive. He wants to be in a market where he can still win an NBA ring. It doesn't have to be the sexiest market. It just has to be one that fits his play style, that fits his nature, and that they have a clear-cut goal in being competitive for however long. And for him to go to Miami, it makes perfect sense. Like Miami is <clears throat> very similar to Toronto when it comes to the hard work aspect of basketball. They want guys who are committed to playing on both sides of the floor, both offense and defense. They're committed to guys who want to share the ball as well. So they have a very similar philosophy to Toronto. On top of that, Kyle Lowry already has a relationship with Jimmy Butler. They're very good friends. 
they were probably buddy buddy with each other ever since the Rio games back in 2016. And so this is not surprising. It's not surprising that he'd want to team up with a guy who is as competitive as him. Like Jimmy Butler is one of those guys where if you're not giving it your full effort, he will call you out. He did that to Carl Anthony Towns. He did that to Andrew Wiggins. I'm surprised he didn't do that to to Ben Simmons because his ass should have gotten spanked by him. Pause. But nonetheless, I'm not surprised that he'd want to go and play with Jimmy Butler in South Beach. On top of that... We're talking about Miami. We're talking about Florida. The Raptors had already played in Florida for an entire season. And right off the bat, they said, or Kyle said specifically, that the checks hit different in Florida, meaning that they were getting more out of their 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 salaries than they were when they were actually stationed in Toronto. You know why? Because in the state of Florida, there is no state income tax. So whatever your salary is, you're going to get more of it because they're not deducting state tax from it. So Kyle took a look at that and said, oh, shit. So you mean to tell me that I could be getting paid, you know, my regular salary over the last, well, I want to say like four years now, which is $30 million per season and still get more of a return on investment by staying in a state that has no state income tax plus great weather. Plus, I get to play golf as much as I want. Plus, I just bought a sexy convertible that I can ride with the top down. Yeah, sign me up for Miami, please. I think us playing in Tampa for this whole entire quarantine year was the downfall for, for any Raptors hopefuls who still wanted to have Lowry on board. Now, of course, if the Raptors were still competitive and were still a top team in the East, then I'm sure... Larry would have wanted to stay and see if we could contend for another chip. We almost did the, the year after we won the chip in the 2019-2020 season. We were well on our way to doing that, but then the pandemic happened, and then we got into the bubble, and man, the ghosts of playoffs past really crept hard. It, I don't want to disrespect the man by saying this, but it's almost like the spirit of inconsistent DeMar DeRozan crept into Pascal's body, and we just saw you know, the most amount of inefficiency that we saw from Pascal since his rookie year, probably. But anyways, this is not about Pascal. It's not about him. I still like the man. I just want to see more from him. But I digress. Yeah, I'm not surprised Kyle wanted to go. And what I respect about, you know, not only Kyle, but Masai and the Raptors management is that they work together to in order to get a deal done because Lowry has done his part with the Raptors since 2012 he has been here since the shitty days when we had brian colangelo and all that like he's been here since that like we've seen so many shitty years where he just had to endure and it looked like you know before we got into the weed of north era he was the only guy who was competing him and derosen were the only guys that were competing and obviously that's how they became friends on the court so to see him go from that to NBA champion, and yes, he wasn't the main, you know, the main focal offensive point, but he was the floor general. He was the point guard who was able to galvanize the teammates and get everyone the ball and get everyone in their spots and their positions. And he was that that engine, that that spiritual engine to get everyone going and, and what have you. He played his role. Like no one can say that Lowry didn't play his role. So to see him go from where he started to where it was going at up until that point, I mean. There's not much more that you can say about a guy like Lowry. Um, when it's all said and done, as far as his career is concerned, 
his jersey will be retired for sure. If anything, it will be the first. It's most likely going to be the first jersey retired at Scotiabank Arena. I mean, uh, Larry Tannenbaum, the the owner of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, the group that owns the Raptors, said it himself that his jersey will be retired the moment that he decides to retire from the game of basketball, as it should be, because he helped bring a championship to this team. And that's not to say that, well, everyone who helped bring the championship to Toronto gets to have their jersey retired. No, it's because of the work that he put in. The work that he put in as a six-time All-Star, the work that he put in as a member of the All-NBA team a couple seasons. He was an Olympic gold medalist during his time with the Raptors. You know, all of his career milestones have been with the Raptors. I think he's second all-time with the Raptors in scoring. I think he's all-time first in assists. Um, He's top three in a lot of categories for the Raptors. So rightfully and deservedly so, his number should be retired. Now, as far as in order, which jersey should be retired between him and DeRozan and Vince and even Kawhi. Like, you say what you want about Kawhi and how he moves, but without Kawhi, we're not winning the championship. So... I don't know. Maybe they do a retirement thing for him. Who knows? But regardless, Kyle, we should give Kyle his flowers the moment he steps back into Scotiabank Arena to play against us. Like, I am looking forward to seeing what type of tribute they're going to give him. They, they gave Kawhi Leonard one hell of a tribute. That's probably one of the best tributes I've ever seen from an NBA team. So I can only imagine what they're going to give Kyle. And, you know, to Kyle's credit, I wish him the best of luck in Miami. I hope he he finds what he's what he's looking for. Um, I'm only going to wish him bad luck when he plays against us, <laughs> you know, rightfully so. But beyond that, I hope he does find what he's looking for, and I hope he remains healthy for the uh, next duration of his contract because it would be nice to see him win another championship. And, you know, Miami is a sexy destination, and you guys have heard my rants about big markets and all that stuff. But with this iteration of the Miami Heat and Heat culture, I'm not mad at what they got going on. Like I was actually pretty proud of them when they when they went to the finals uh, last season during the bubble. So I'll be curious to see what they're able to do going forward with Lowry and with um, Butler getting that extension, as well as Victor Oladipo, another fellow Nigerian, um, re-signing with the team as well. And yeah, this, it should be interesting. It should be interesting. But hey, man, Kyle Lowry, you're a real one. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for, you know, bringing some grit to the Raptors. Thank you for the hard work and determination. And, you know, he is definitely going to be remembered as quite possibly the greatest Raptor of all time. And I think for Lowry, it fits because Toronto, at the very least, in terms of sports, Toronto has an affliction for the underground or not the underground, the underdog. Sorry. They have an affliction for the underdog athlete, whether it's a Kyle Lowry, whether it's a Ty Domi, uh, whether it was Damon Stoudemire, like Toronto sports fans love the plucky underdog. The person who was always told that they're, they're too small. They're not athletic enough. They're not flashy enough. They love that type of player quite possibly more than the actual superstar. And I feel like when it comes to the actual superstar who's like uber talented and what have you, they they love them from a distance. So like they praise and adulate the player. And even sometimes they, they get too comfortable. And it shows that whenever they do leave, it's like, oh, see, you're just like the rest of them. Ah, how dare you, right? Like we've seen this before. 
But anytime we have an underdog player, all-star or not, whether it's Mo Pete, JYD, whomever, when they leave, we're like, oh, it's cool, it's cool. You know, they, they did their time. They worked hard, and when they come back, we'll give them a standing ovation. This happens with every single plucky underdog workhorse guy that the Raptors have ever had, and Kyle Lowry is the embodiment of that. It's so fitting that out of all the plucky underdog players that the Raptors have had in their entire career or their entire duration of being in the NBA, that Lowry would be the one to rise above the ranks of all-star and champion as well. So I'm sure not only is that uh, jersey going to be retired, but we're definitely going to see a statue of Kyle Lowry, whether it's him taking a charge, yelling at a ref, shooting a three-pointer, him showing off that that goofy smile in the final seconds of that finals clinching game or NBA final back to NBA finals clinching game against the uh, the the Milwaukee Bucks or maybe him just grabbing the game ball like he typically does almost every other game. We're going to see a statue of Kyle Lowry being immortalized one of these days. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, and just to close it off, because I'm kind of running long on this particular segment, when it comes to the future of the Raptors, it's hard to tell what the future is going to look like. I would say as a point guard, the future is in good hands for Fred Van Vliet. I think he's going to get better as a point guard. He, he, he has been seen to be more vocal. And at him being 26, 27 years old, he's one of the veterans of the team because this team is very young. Outside of Goran Dragic, Van Vliet and Pascal are the oldest members of the team. And they, they're two of the only members left of that championship winning squad from, from 2019. It's those two. It's Boucher, who didn't even get any playtime. And then it was OG, who couldn't even play during the playoffs because of an injury. So they're going to be looked at as the elder statesman because everyone else is going to be like 25 and younger. So I'll be curious to see how they manage things um, as far as next season goes. With the East getting progressively better, I don't see the Raptors being a top four seed anymore. I think those days are done for now. I do see them in that sixth to eighth position. Worst case scenario, they're battling for a play in spot. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them in that sixth slot, basically, because so many teams got better um, throughout the summer so far. I'm sure there's a few more deals waiting to be made, but it's going to be more minor scale deals because I don't think there are any major ones that are on the horizon, unless if somebody is still requesting a trade. Like, we don't know what's going to be happening with Ben Simmons if he gets traded to wherever. Uh, Apparently, it's not going to be Toronto because we're a bad situation. (laughs) But, um... If anything, he's the bad situation, but whatever. I'm not petty. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll be curious to see where they place this year. But I think all things considered, Larry left his imprint on the team. And if I could make one request for the Raptors this year, just one and one only, bring back the old jerseys. I'm not talking about the Dino ones. I'm not talking about the ones from the 2000s. I'm talking about the ones that we were wearing during the Weeder North era. So the ones from 2015 up until last year. Give me those ones again. I'm not feeling these Chevron jerseys. It was cool when it was when it was um it was the the what do you what you what did Nike call it? What did, what does Nike call it? The not the street jersey. How long you, I can't remember what they call it anymore. But the alternate. Let's just call it the alternate. It was cool as an alternate jersey. Hell, it was cool when they made an alternate of the alternate jersey when they were wearing those during the during the NBA playoffs and into the NBA finals and one uh, the NBA Finals in those jerseys. That was cool. I like that. 
But now they're just milking it. Now they're just milking it. It's like, we get it. The Raptors are Canada's team. We get it. But I think they're just milking it at this point for marketing purposes. And it's not doing it for me. I don't know. Maybe it's because we had a bad season in the bubble. But even before then, when they when they were first revealed, I wasn't really feeling them. I would say maybe the uh, the black and red one with the pinstripes that kind of reminds me of the Chicago Bulls a little bit. That one was kind of cool. Even the purple one was kind of cool because like the whole purple was shaped into a chevron, which is all right. But that's just me being picky. Listen, I'm going to close out the segment. Congratulations to Lowry. Thank you for all the memories. And we wish the best of luck to you in Miami. All right. So let's get into our mic check segment of the week. And we got to talk about the baby, y'all. The baby. What the hell are you doing? Oh, man. If someone, if, if dropping the bag or fumbling the bag was a person, look no further than Charlotte, North Carolina's very own. Oh, my gosh. So let me give you I'm sure a lot of you guys know by now what's happened with the baby. But let's do a brief recap, shall we? So the baby is following a lot of backlash, public backlash, social backlash, and is even, you know, getting dropped from shows here and there because of comments that he made during a performance at the Rolling Loud uh, Festival, which is one of the biggest music festivals in America right now for hip hop and just in general to be honest. So some of you guys may not know about this entire situation or may not even know what he said in order to get himself in hot water. Well, this is what he said while he was on stage in between songs. And I quote, if you didn't show up today with HIV AIDS or any of them deadly sexually transmitted diseases that'll make you die in two to three weeks, then put your cell phone lighter up. (sighs) Okay. Okay. So before I say what I want to say, I'm going to say this. All right. So for those of you who don't know, just add context, just general context. If you've never been to a rap concert before or a club that plays primarily hip hop, the rapper, the MC, the DJ, they'll usually say some crazy shit or just some random shit to get people uh, hyped up and what have you. I mean, even going to like a like a, a club where they play like a lot of dancehall, you'll hear some of the, the, the dancehall DJs be like, uh, put tool gun finger on the air if y'all don't smell like pom pom or some shit like that. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll say some dumb shit like that, and everyone will be like, ah, blah, 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 right? At a rap show, you'll probably hear something similar, right? I mean, even Fat Man Scoop, the legendary Fat Man Scoop, has said some crazy, crazy shit. Like, he'll say some stuff like, you know, if you... If you're excited that you're getting some sex tonight, da 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 make some noise... Stuff like that to get the people in the crowd hyped up. So I am only assuming that this is what the baby was trying to do. The problem with it is he said the most absolute wrong thing and the most wrongest. I don't know if wrongest is a word, but the most wrongest thing that you could ever say to get a crowd hyped up, whether or not we are in a particular landscape of socialism right now. 
You just don't say stuff like that. You know why? Because the implication that you're trying to make when you say that, whether you mean to or not, is that you are accusing the LGBT crowd of carrying HIV and AIDS, which is a stereotype that has been associated with that community ever since the 80s when when it became rampant across America and then across the world eventually. Now, there are members of that community who do have it, but it's not because of the fact of their social or, or sorry, of their sexual orientation. It's not because of that. And by him saying that, it sounds like Loki, he's saying, you know, if you're not gay, then make some noise. That's what it literally sounds like. So if you want to get the crowd hyped up, he could have chose a million and one different ways to do that. He could have said something like, listen, y'all, if y'all, if you are, if you're loving life and, and your health is strong and, and you're enjoying the good vibes, make some noise. If you're lit right now, make some noise. If you got a drink in your hand, make some noise. If you try to get a drink in your hand, make some noise, like something, like anything, anything. He could have chose anything. But he chose to say that. And the only question I have to ask in regards to that is why? Why did you choose to say that of all things? Because now what's happening is that there's been a whole bunch of residual backlash because of that. You already know how Twitter acts, activates. They, They will go in. Whether it's for the right reason or the wrong reason, Twitter will act like a mob and they will flame whoever they see as doing wrong in their eyes. And in this situation, they're not wrong for it. They're not wrong for it. This is the expected outcome. And because of the social backlash in regards to what he said, that has reached out to many prominent groups that, that advocate for LGBT rights and what have you. And that has costed him a bunch of bookings for different shows. For example, he was, suppo- he, he was supposed to perform at Lollapalooza in Chicago. He is no longer performing uh, at that because he got taken off the bill. He was supposed to perform at the Governor's Ball. He will no longer be performing at the Governor's Ball. Like He is ruining his opportunities right now. And DaBaby isn't just some underground guy or some up-and-coming guy. No, he is one of the guys right now in hip-hop. Like, he is mainstream. Mind you, I haven't heard too many records from baby. I've heard a few features here and there. But he is one of those guys that is carrying the torch for the new school, so to speak. The, the, the rappers of this particular generation of the 2020s, I guess we'll call them now. But he's supposed to be one of those guys. You know? And he's just dropping the bag. All for some ignorant comments. Now, he went on IG Live and issued out a quote-unquote apology and he apologized if he if he got anyone offended but then he went on this rant and basically it sounded like he was trying to defend his point by almost trying to say you know the hypocrisy of how some people don't recognize the rights of other uh disenfranchised groups and he started talking about black people and how people don't recognize black people and what have you so i'm going to say this of course, we all know that black people get treated unfairly in the grand scheme of things for the most part, but you can't cover up your fuck up by acknowledging other people's hypocrisies as well, because it's almost like you're playing the whole eye for an eye game. And I get I'm one who 
does not does not take well to hypocrisy, especially if it's habitual hypocrisy. But you have to admit that you did wrong in this scenario. You can't just have this eye for an eye mentality and be like, okay, well, you know, people say ignorant shit about black people, so I'm going to say ignorant shit about gay people. And let's say if you didn't get this backlash, would you have issued out that apology in the first place? You probably wouldn't have. There would be no reason to. When people issue out apologies for saying things that can be deemed as insensitive, they're doing it because their PR team is telling them to do it. Because if they don't do it, then that means that they're going to miss out on opportunities that can get them paid and in turn can get their management team paid altogether. In other words, their management team is basically taking up after the words of Kevin Hart by saying to them, to help me, help you, to help me. Nigga. <laughs> that is basically what they're saying. So, the baby, oh my God. Like, I don't know what he thought <laughs> was going to happen or what he thought what wasn't going to happen. But he definitely dropped the ball on that. And not only that, but that speaks to a larger conversation with regards to how the hip-hop community has spoken ill about the LGBT community for quite some time, for years, maybe even since the inception of hip-hop as a culture. Now, we are seeing a little bit of progression happening on the male side of things, because I feel like with female rappers identifying as, as gay or bisexual, I don't think a lot of people are really have really focusing on that and made it a big deal like a lot of people in the rap community don't really care like you've never really seen headlines or conversations about it or people scolding them for it like queen latifah is probably the most outwardly uh most outwardly rapper of all time when it comes to her sexuality and no i i i could be wrong but i don't i haven't seen any backlash from her or towards her with regards to her sexuality. If anything, she's one of the most respected rappers of all time, regardless of her gender. Like, dudes mess with her, ladies mess with her, of course. Like, no one really gives her any flack for that, as they shouldn't, you know? Nicki Minaj, I think, has said that she identifies as bisexual. I, I think I heard that. I could be completely wrong. But I feel like when it comes to somebody like Nicki, for example, when they hear bisexual, they have more of a lustful sexual connotation to it. To it, to the to the sense where if she says she's bisexual or bi curious, then it's like, oh, oh, that's sexy. Oh, imagine Nicki Minaj, the baddie that she is, being with another good looking baddie. Oh, I want to see that. So they they might objectify her sexuality in that sense because of how she presents herself as as her image is is concerned. So there's that. But with male rappers, that's where we get into the conversation of things because. Outside of most recently Little Nas X, we've never seen an openly mainstream gay rapper before. We've never seen that. We have never seen that before. And over the years, we've heard allegations of certain people within the hip hop community being gay, but like those have yet to be proven. But we've never seen a rapper say that he is gay outside of Little Nas X. And then outside as well of Tyler, the creator, because he said he was bisexual. In fact, his whole Igor album was talking about the love that he had for, for, for a man. 
And I think with Tyler, the creator, I feel like when he did say that, when he did come out, I feel like people were split on it in the sense that they thought that maybe he was just trolling because Tyler does troll a lot. But he didn't really get a lot of backlash. And maybe it's because he's not your typical rapper, your typical, you know, money over bitches. Yo, I'm a gangster. I'm hard. Da, 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 da. So it's probably because of that that we haven't seen a whole lot of backlash towards him on that. And then you have Frank Ocean, but who's more of an R&B singer. And again, there wasn't really, again, well, I maybe, maybe I wasn't looking for the backlash, but I didn't really see it. I didn't really notice it. But I guarantee that if we had a rapper who had that, either that gangster, that hyper black masculine gangster image, or someone who came across as a playboy, like a Drake or a Fabulous, and then going back to the gangster side, if it was somebody like a Meek Mill, or a Rick Ross or something like that, and they came out as gay, then we would see a large consortium of people having this discussion, whether they are for it or against it. We don't know, but I would say that there would definitely be a lot of backlash from from, from a particular side within the hip-hop community, for sure, because this is something that hip-hop has never really addressed when it comes to you know homosexuality within the culture. So, again, like these comments that the baby made, they speak to a larger conversation. And I have seen in recent years where there, are, there have been rappers who have been welcoming of the fact that they may have fans within, within the LGBT community. And they acknowledge their, those fans by, you know, saying, you know, shout out to my LGBT community members, you know, shouts for fighting that fight. Like I've, I've heard rappers, you know, state that before. You know, you heard Jay-Z on his 444 album talk about the story of his mom coming out as gay and how he supported her through that, right? Whereas 10, 20 years ago, these are the same rappers who are using the F word um, in, their, in their songs all the time. And you already know what F word I'm talking about. I'm not going to mention it on here. So hip-hop is definitely going through a gradual change, but based on the comments that DaBaby made, there's still a lot more change that needs to be made. And it starts with dialogue, it starts with conversations, it starts with an openness to being progressive, and it starts with alignment as well, in the sense of seeing where the other party is coming from. And once we get to that point, then we're going to have fewer moments of that moment happening again for a very long time. Now, in regards to DeBaby's career, I don't think his career is over. I don't think he's canceled altogether. I think he's just canceled for now because when it comes to rappers or just musicians in general who are within pop culture, all you really need is one hit. If you have one hit, people will forget. People will forget. People will definitely forget. I remember when Rick Ross talked about put a Molly in a drink. She ain't even know it. Oh, he lost sponsorships up the wazoo. But the moment you put out a few more hits, people forgot. It's like, oh, this is a banger. This is a banger. People were trying to come at Drake for bringing what seemed to be an underage woman on stage and uh, and pretending that he was about to kiss her. He put Drake, as you already know, he cranks out hits and that was that. He, He was good. He was good. Akon had that scandal back in the day 
where you know he was dry humping an underage girl who snuck into the club pretending that she was uh 21 again he he had a scandal but he came out with a few other hits he was good he was good so really and i'm not saying this because i'm not saying this as as a way to defend the baby or whatever i'm just stating it as a fact that when it comes to any musician any pop musician the minute they crank out a hit people are quick to forget that's just the nature of the world that we're in especially nowadays with how rapidly fast the internet moves like this could be the hottest story of the week right now but come next week we're talking about something else unless this is something that the baby consistently does people will eventually forget he's gonna come out with another banger and then people are gonna be bumping his music all over again that's literally how it works so either way let me know what you guys think about this, what you think about all of it, and share your thoughts. Hit me up on my socials and let me know what you think about this whole DaBaby debacle, so to speak. All right, let's get into trip talk now. Three of the hottest topics that took place within hip-hop and pop culture. With that said, let's get to it. First one, just to kind of warm things up a little bit. Nas, the elder statesman of hip-hop, Nas, came out with his sequel to last summer's king's disease album he came out with his latest project entitled king disease part two now i gave this album a listen i gave it a listen the day it came out and overall i liked it i liked it It was a very good album it was a very good album i can't i can't convincingly say as to whether or not it was better than than the first king's disease i'd have to give that another listen and i need to give this three more listens at least for me to come to that statement but there were some tracks that i liked more than others and what i like most about this album is that Nas, as a man who is now in his late 40s is not trying to sound like one of these young guys he's not trying to keep up with the joneses no pun intended so to speak He's doing his own thing, but he's giving, but he's being given a crafted sound that fits his sensibilities, but at the same time can be played in today's climate. Um, and that's all due to the magnificent work of Hip Boy. Hip Boy and Nas work seamlessly together, and I didn't know that that could even be a thing because we've we've heard Hip Boy's records before. Like he he's put out banger after banger after banger. So for him to collaborate with Nas to give him a more refreshing take on his sound and to modernize it, it speaks to how great of a producer that Hit Boy is and it speaks to how versatile of a rapper that Nas is. And his versatility as a rapper is one of the most underrated qualities and aspects about him because we don't hear Nas do features that often on other people's songs. Whereas the likes of Jay-Z and Fabulous and whomever, they do features every day of the week, basically, it seems like. So for Nas to just kind of go in and just do something that sounds a bit different from what we're normally used to hearing is very refreshing. And I like it because of the fact that, you know, now I feel like he can kind of shake off this tag of not not being able to pick good beats because that's always that's been a stigma that's been associated with Nas for the better part of 20 years, I would say, because if you think about it, during his run in the 90s from 90 four to 99 illmatic you couldn't say that because he had three of the hottest producers in the game at that time if we're talking about east coast hip-hop so you couldn't say that about illmatic not to mention it was the fact that you had never seen multiple high-level producers on one person's project that had never been done before until him 
You couldn't say that about It Was Written because the majority of that album was produced by Trackmasters. And on top of that, you had DJ Premier, you had Havoc from Mob Deep, and you had Dr. Dre on there. Not to mention it's still his highest selling album to date. So we couldn't say that about that. You couldn't say that about I Am because he still kind of continued that momentum by having Trackmasters on there, by having Primo on there. And on top of that, he had Dame Grease on there, who was a notable producer who has worked alongside DMX for for a bunch of his albums. Hell, you even had Timbaland on that album, too. So you couldn't say that about his album either. And then Nostradamus, I know it's his most critically panned album, and a lot of people really hate it. But I think they hate it because of the commercial direction that he really tried to go in when they didn't want to see that from Nas. They wanted to see a lot more conscious material, more introspectiveness and what have you, but they were getting more commercial stuff. And with that said, he still had some good production done on that album. Again, he had Havoc on there. He had Primo on there. He once again had Timbaland on there. Y'all remember You Owe Me. (laughs) Uh, He had quite a few few high-level producers on there. Me personally, I think it started with Stillmatic because if there was one weak point about Stillmatic, as great of an album that is, the beat selection was kind of generic, in my opinion. It was kind of generic. You had some really good beats on there, like Got Yourself a Gun, um, Ether, One Mic. But then you had some kind of generic beats like Smoking or My Country. Um, and then there was one record on there. It was like the final record on the album. I can't remember the name of it, but the beat on there wasn't really that great either. So I think it started with Stillmatic, and then it kind of bled into Godson, because again, Godson had some really good beats on there. You had Warrior Song, you had uh, Made You Look, you had Thug's Mansion Remix, I love that, Either the, with the acoustic guitar, I love that. But then you had a few records like um, Carry the Cross with Eminem producing it. And Eminem is probably one of the weakest producers in, in hip-hop history, in my personal opinion. <laughs> um you had uh, what other songs were there? Uh, there was a few other songs that, that kind of had some weak production on there, and then still or not still Mac. Um, what's it called? What's it called? Um, Streets Disciple. That was probably the album where everyone was like, "Okay, Nas, you are picking bad beats," and I don't blame them for that because I think Nas tried to go for the whole adult contemporary sound a bit too early because hip hop wasn't ready for it. The same way Jay Z tried to do that with Kingdom Come. Hip-hop wasn't ready for adult contemporary, and I feel like he tried to do that on Streets Disciple. I feel like if you listen back to it now, you might have a bit more of an appreciation for it as far as the creative direction. But from the from the from the instrumental perspective and the, and the beats and what have you, listen, Salam Remy is an amazing producer. Like he produced some of the greatest hits for Amy Winehouse, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't working on streets disciple like some beats were good other ones nah, here today gone tomorrow kind of thing i think that's where it started i think it started within the within the 2000s but then he signed a def jam alongside you know being on sony columbia and now that he's on def jam he has access to you know better producers he had Production from Kanye West on the Hip Hop Is Dead album. He had production from Scott Storch when he was still hot. He had production from Dr. Dre on that album. He had production from Will I Am. Will I Am was hot in 2006. Let us not forget, aside from his own work, he was producing with Nas, he was producing with Game. He had hits. Let's not forget that. Let us not forget that. He, whew, jeez. And then, yeah, even with the Untitled album in 08, he still had some stellar production. He had DJ Toop on there. 
He had M1 at Jet Prez on there, who gave him some hot production as well. Uh, who else was on there? Polo the Don was on that. Polo the Don gave him a banger with the, with the record Hero. I remember that record. That was I was like, wow, I've never heard Nas spit over this kind of kind of record before. So I think Nas over the years has gotten a bad rap because of three albums, in my opinion, that kind of started that whole conversation of you know bad beat selection and what have you. And people make it seem as if he's had bad beat selection for his entire career. To me, that is the biggest fallacy of his career. It wasn't every single album where he had bad beats. It was three albums. Arguably three. I will argue this with anyone. It was only three albums that he had questionable beats on. Just three. It was Stillmatic. It was Godson. And it was Streets Disciple, which is probably the most egregious out of all three, especially when you consider the fact that it was a double disc album. But from Hip Hop is Dead and Onward, the beats have been pretty good for the most part. A few bad ones here and there, but not as pronounced as the former three that I just mentioned. So I think we need to put that to bed, people. I don't know. Maybe that's just me as a Nas Stan, you know, talking and, and coming into defense uh, of my of my goat, so to speak. So there may be some bias in there, but nonetheless, I think it's a little overstated at this point. But overall, Kings Disease Two is a good album, very good album. Definitely recommend the listen. Some good features on there. Eminem had a bomb ass feature on there. Lauren Hill had a very good feature on there as well. There was there are some good records on here. Very good records. Replay values through the roof, in my opinion. So go stream that if you haven't. Go buy that if you haven't. It's a very good album. Now, let's talk about the Locks versus Dipset. Wow. Listen. Listen. This has to be said. Locks versus Dipset is probably the best versus battle I have seen thus far. Man. I think the last time I really enjoyed a versus battle to this extent was Method Man and Red Man for the 420 special. I really enjoyed that one. That one was just pure unadulterated fun. I can only imagine what it would have been like if they had a full crowd in attendance. But this? Yo, Locks versus Dipset? This got chippy real quick. Listen, I was on record, and it was probably on the last cool radio pod that I did. But I was on record in saying that Dipset would probably win, not only because they have a good combination of commercial and underground hits, but I feel like they had more of the streets with them. Like they had more of the, the, the fan they were more of the fan favorites because of their ability to cross over between underground and mainstream, whereas the locks primarily has been underground. But the funny thing is. The Locks has some mainstream hits as well. We just forgot. We just forgot. It's funny because, and I can't do a breakdown of everything that happened within those two hours, but what was funny is, first of all, they're very chippy with one another, so let's just get that out the way. Um, Secondly, I think it was Jewel's that said on the mic that, you know, uh, <laughs> that the locks, they don't like girls. They don't like girls. Where are your girl records, son? Where are your girl records? Hold on. The minute he said that, my, whoever the DJ was, the minute he said that, they played Honey featuring Mariah Carey. 
talking about we don't like girls. And then my man Jadakiss just grabs the mic and says, yo, we got Grammys. We got Grammys. What do you mean we don't like the girls? Everybody was rocking out to Honey back in 1997. What do you mean? Then they went into Jenny from the Block. I was like, yo, I remember they were on that record. Both Jada and Styles P, they were on that record. I'm surprised Jada didn't go into Kiss Me. Now, I know that's his own record personally, but, you know, just kind of go with that theme about we ain't got girl records. He should have gone with that record, too. That was a big record. What? And then they went into Knock Yourself Out, produced by the Neptunes. That was a big record. But we don't like girls. Come on. Come on. Speaking of Jada Kiss. Listen, I had no idea this guy was such a bully. This guy is such a bully. Yo, the way he was roasting Joel Santana, this man said without saying his name, he said how certain mans went to go to jail just so they could get a dental plan. We all remember that Joel Santana went to jail. We all remember that Joel Santana didn't have the best looking teeth. Come on. This guy's an asshole. This guy said, yeah, I didn't know Jada was that. I mean, I should have known because he's had some of the best diss tracks we've ever heard. And his features are just bomb as shit. But, man, I didn't know he was such an asshole. I did not know he was. Yo, the way he would just go into freestyles and everything. I mean, they kind of broke the rules a little bit here and there with 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 how a versus battle goes. But, man, Jada was in rare form. I don't know what, what venue that was. Someone was. Someone was saying that that was Madison Square Garden. I don't know that for a fact. I'd have to d- verify that. But if that was, then we have to put that. <laughs> we have to put that into the into the conversation of greatest performances at the Garden of all time, man. He was putting on a masterclass of showmanship and what it means to be not only a rapper but an MC as well. Jada was going in and he was letting people who the hell he was. And just in case if you forgot, Jay to the mwah. What? Listen, you think I'm speaking a hyperbole? I will give you facts to back that up. Facts and data, all right? According to multiple sources, Jada Kiss sales of his music increased by 200%. Not 100 not 150, but 200%. So in other words, they doubled. They doubled. And now five of his albums are on the Apple Top 200 charts. Give this man his roses. Applaud this man. Wherever you had him ranked in your, in your top rappers of all time, increase his spot by 10 spots right now. If you haven't done it already, do it right now because he deserves that. He has been stated to be as one of the most underrated rappers of all time. I think we need to shed that tag. I think we I think it's about time that we need to shed that tag and give him his proper due and respect as one of the goats of this game. I think it's fair to say that he is top 25. I think it's fair. I think it's fair that he is top 25. Outside of being a rapper who has primarily been in a group throughout his entire career, he's put out a fair amount of solo albums in order to be considered that. You can say the same thing about Ghostface Killer. 
Remember the Wu-Tang Clan? Yeah, he's put out eight albums. To be in a group and put out eight albums is phenomenal. And I think Jada, to his credit, has put out, what, five maybe? Five solo albums? Listen, man, give the man his flowers. Um, shout out to Styles P for, the, for wearing the, the green jumpsuit. Sheik Luch looking like somebody's bodyguard right now. My God, that man is massive. And then going to the Dipset side of things, I had a feeling this would happen. Dipset came in fashionably late, like a Nigerian wedding. And they're all swagged out, probably smoking on something sticky, drinking on something purple. And they thought that they could just swag their way to victory. And this is probably one of the reasons why I kind of fell off a of Dipset, because all they, they sacrificed a lot of their lyrical ability just, to, just for the sake of swagging out. Like, I get it, swag is a part of the appeal of a rapper, but when that's all you've got, or, or, or if that's all you're relying on, me personally, I kind of fall out. I'm not really into it. Like, give me a combination of the two. And I feel like Dipset felt in their minds that they had it in the bag from the get-go. But they really underestimated how hard that the locks was going to come right out the gate. And it's funny because Dipset had a wealth of records to work with. Whether it was the solo records from their, from their core three members, whether it was their group records that they did from the Diplomatic Immunity album, whether it was the records that they did with, uh, with their Dipset affiliates through the mid-2000s. Like, I thought J.R. Ryder was going to be there, but it was just the, the core three. They had a wealth to work with because Dipset was, a, was like a serious movement back in the 2000s. But they underestimated the locks. This battle, this versus battle, was theirs to lose and that's exactly what happened. They dropped the ball. They were basically the Philadelphia 76ers against the Atlanta Hawks in this year's playoffs. That's exactly what they were. And Jada Kiss was Trey Young. Styles P was Josh Collins. And Sheik Luch was Cam Reddish. That's literally what happened. Man, that was such an amazing ver- That was the most fun versus battle I've watched up until this point. That was fun. If you guys haven't seen that, please watch it. It's on YouTube. Watch it on YouTube. If you have the Triller app, watch it there as well. That battle was fun. And the chippiness. What I loved about the chippiness is that it was never personal with them. They they were having fun. It was all in good fun. No one was throwing punches or anything like that. Only thing I hated was when everyone who wasn't a rapper or a videographer was getting on stage. That's the shit I hate the most. When it comes to rap concerts or those or those internet rap battles like URL or King of the Dot, whatever, everyone in their mans is like on stage. Like, why? We don't care. Like, I know they're trying to get into, I know sometimes like their excuses, oh, well, it's a cypher, so like everyone's gonna be huddled around. But you're literally on stage. And you're on a round stage at that. The audience below the stage is your cypher, huddle, audience, whatever you want to call it. You don't literally have to have every single person in their nan to be on the stage with you. It's not necessary. It just isn't. I hate that so much. Because now you're taking up space away from, 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 um, from the actual artists who are performing as well as the videographers who are documenting it. Like, you're, you, we don't care to see you on stage. Who are you? Who? 
We don't give a shit. We came to see Dipset. We came to see the locks. And they have their little videographers documenting anything in their social media people. Cool. But that's it. I don't want to see the homeboy who gives you spliffs. I don't want to see the homeboy who just got out the bin. I don't want to see the woman who does your braids. Tell them to stay off the stage. That's it. That's it. That's the only gripe I had about that, about that battle. Other than that that, that, that battle was sick. Best battle I've seen in a long time. But if you saw it, what do you think about it? Let me know, please, because I am still going off the wall with this shit. And final topic of, of, uh, of Trip Talk. We got to talk about Kanye West. All right. So let's get to the final topic of Trip Talk then, shall we? Let's talk about Kanye West. So with Kanye, he is gearing up for the release of his latest album entitled Donda, which is named after his late mother, Donda West. And in order to, you know, better prepare for the rollout and what have you, he has decided to do a listening party, but not just any kind of listening party of sorts. He is hosting a live listening party at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So it's available for people to come to be a part of the attendance to view the listening party, as well as available for live stream across the World Wide Web. Now, what's interesting about this listening party is not only the fact that he's doing it in such a large space, because I don't think we've ever had anyone do it in a stadium, let alone an arena or anything like that, but he's actually taking residence within the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That is right. He is taking residence there. He is sleeping over there overnight. He probably has his blanket and his pajamas and all that good stuff. Now, this is interesting because, like I just said, we haven't seen anyone do that before in any genre of music. I'm not about to say that he's a revolutionary because of that. No, 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 no. He just has a bigger pocketbook to work with. Now, it could be one of those artist things where he wants to be in a, in a specific creative space where all the creative juices are flowing and he doesn't want to leave that environment. And if that's the case, then, hey, as long as you have the budget, then sure, make it work. Do what you got to do with your bedazzled ski mask and everything. Fine. My only issue, and this isn't necessarily with Kanye, but it's more of my issue with the fans of Kanye, like the diehards specifically. They're the ones who are saying that this is so revolutionary and innovative and it's never been done before and Kanye is so different. Listen, different doesn't always equate to good, all right? And I think that's the misconception that a lot of people have. They always think that different is good or they equate they equate that to being good and that they often mistake it for those two being one of the same, which is false. It's not. Now, I'm not going to say this, this isn't good or anything. Like, I don't even think it's bad, but I just think it's the fans of Kanye that are like blowing this way out of proportion. Like, Oh my gosh, he's so innovative. It's not innovative. He just have, he just has a bigger pocketbook. And Kanye, if we are to be completely honest, Kanye really hasn't been innovative since 808s and Heartbreaks. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. That's, objectively speaking, his best album, at least from a production standpoint. That album was crazy. That album felt like a movie. I even said in in my 2019 wrap-up special, when we were breaking down the best albums of the decade, or rap albums, I should say, I said that My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is the number one rap album of the 2010s decade. 
I had to think about that long and hard, man. I had to. But anyways, I digress. But yeah, all the people who are talking about this is so innovative and Kanye is such a creative genius. I haven't really seen a lot of that creative genius come out of Kanye in a very long time. The reason why I said anyway, and Heartbreaks is because as good of an album as that was, it's a very good album. We have to keep in mind that that album wasn't really an original conception. Hear what I'm saying. So, of course, the originality comes into the fact that the relationships that he was really going in on depth on were the ones, were the romantic ones that he had with a particular woman at that time, but also talking about the relationship that was strained or that had been severed the moment his mother died, right? So a lot of that pain of his of him losing his mother went into that album as well. So I'm not going to knock him for that. I think that's where the originality comes into play. But in terms of the sound of the delivery of everything, that came from T-Pain and Kid Cudi. Let's make no mistake about that. 808s and Heartbreaks. He's singing on autotune about love that didn't go his way. T-Pain had already been doing that since 2005. We all remember I'm Sprung. That was the first iteration of T-Pain that we had ever heard, and we thought that a dude singing over autotune was weird. Even when T-Pain still came out with more and more hits, there are still a large, a, a large contingency of fans who were still on the fence about T-Pain. But literally the moment somebody else hopped on autotune, I think Lil Wayne may have been the first rapper to hop on autotune. It could have been him. I could be wrong. But either way, when other rappers hopped on autotune, especially ones who had much much more of a larger name recognition, then everyone loved autotune. And Kanye was a part of that as well. So he definitely took that from T-Pain. Like whether you guys, you know, like that assessment or not, he took that from T-Pain. T-Pain had been doing 808s and heartbreaks. Kanye just flipped it on its head and, and gave it more of an 80s synth pop sound style. And then when we go to Kid Cudi, the Kid Cudi side of things. Nobody in rap, as a rapper specifically, was doing the singing and rapping thing and just harmonizing on a consistent basis like Kid Cudi was doing. Kid Cudi was a relatively new artist at the time, let's keep in mind. And the sound that he was using was completely different from, or just completely left field of what we normally hear within rap. Day and Night was, is, is still, I think, and somebody can correct me on this, the most played record in MySpace history. Day and night caught on huge. And this was 2007. Day and night is what made Kanye sign Kid Cudi in the first place. And then he completely took his entire style and sound and put it on 808s and Heartbreak. Kid Cudi couldn't even debut on his own debut album with that sound because we've already heard it with Kanye. So that's why I'm on the fence about 808s and Heartbreaks with regards to originality or just in general, him not being original since then. I think I think my, my Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy was a bit more original than, than uh, 808s and Heartbreaks. I think 808s and Heartbreaks was original in the sense that it was a rapper taking on a more or less completely different genre of music while he's still in his run. Maybe that's where the originality comes from. But I think... My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is more originality. But anything after 2013, originality was out the window. I know some people still to this day will say that Yeezy, or sorry, Yeezus is a classic. Get the fuck out of here. That is not a classic. That's easily his worst album that I've ever listened to. 
all that distortion and all the the hypocrisy and contradictory statements that he made on his records. I mean, this guy is out here talking about complaining about corporations and everyone is is under the thumb of corporations. Yeah, he himself wants to be just as powerful, if not more powerful than those corporations. Like, what are we talking about? And then we had, uh, whatchamacallit, um, Life of Pablo, where that wasn't even supposed to be the original name of the album. It was supposed to be called Waves or something like that. And then he got into that tiff with Wiz Khalifa, and they went back and forth on that. And when he even released the album, it wasn't even mastered properly. So you could even give us you know, at the very least full preparation for an album like you've done on past albums. So you're just slacking in that department too. Now, I'm not going to say that the album wasn't good. It was decent. But the way people were ranting and raving over it, people were saying, oh, this is the this is the late registration and, and college dropout Kanye. No, it wasn't. There was a few records on there that had a similar sound to those two albums. But this is something completely off and different. Don't get me wrong, Fond Stretch My Hands is a banger. Love that record. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, Famous is a banger. Love it. The record with, uh, with Kendrick, uh, No More Parties in LA. Love it. Everything else is cool, but it wasn't like, oh my God, this is going to change the game because it didn't. And then he came out with the Ye album. He came out with Kids See Ghost with Kid Cudi. He came out with Jesus is King, which is a gospel album, which... The reviews of it were pretty mixed, to be honest. So where is this visionary Kanye that you guys keep on ranting and raving about? I feel like I feel like the only people who are saying this are people who were Kanye fans since Yeezus, which is basically the Generation Z crowd, let's be honest. Like, no this to, to y'all youngins, but that's your Kanye. <laughs> you guys don't even recognize the Kanye before that, which is funny to me, but that's just me being an old head at this point. And then the other people who still want to recognize Kanye as a visionary are the people who have been around since 04 when the when the college dropout came out and there's just and they're just hanging on for dear life that the old Kanye is in there somewhere and he's going to give us a classic and we and like we just have to hope and pray no that Kanye is long gone and he's never coming back y'all y'all got to get with it man I'm sorry but like I jumped off after after Life of Pablo, after after that album, I was like, yeah, I almost was off altogether completely when it came to Jesus. But I was like, you know, what? let me give him one chance, because this is his first bad album out of four. Sorry, out of five debatable classics that he's had. Let, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But it was a mixture of the, the, the latter two albums after his 04 to 10 run and then a lot of the statements that he made w- within the public. I'm just like, after that, I'm like, nah, I'm done. I'm not even talking about the slavery was a choice for me because I was long gone way before that. By the time he said that, I was already on the shore looking with my binoculars, seeing if the ship would sink and boy, oh boy, did it sink. So yeah, that, that's my assessment on Kanye, man. Like, I mean, I don't know what this album is going to sound like. And, all, and of course, there are, these, there are these rumors swirling around that he's waiting on Drake to release his album so that he can release it on the same day. And I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case because Kanye is petty like that. He has this disdain towards Drake. I don't know if it's because he's light-skinned or if it's because Drake is now occupying the lane that Kanye was once in and he's kind of seen as the leader of the new school of that. But my guy, it's been well over a decade. Like, Let go of your animosity towards Drake. 
And there are the rumors that Drake slept to Kim Kardashian and what have you. And Drake is just as petty for that as well. I'm not about to let him off the hook for that. But nonetheless, this this feud, this rivalry that he's had with, with, with Drake, just put it on wax at this point. If that's the case, put it on wax. Like we, Kanye is not a battle rapper like that. But he's been around enough battle rappers or people who have been in that foray to know what it takes to be in a battle. Or if that's the case, get one of your goons like Pusha T or something like that to, to, to rap in, in, in your name and your honor. But enough of the petty shit with Drake. Like, let it go. Like, you're a 40-plus-year-old man with children. Like, listen, if Kim broke up with you, decided to divorce you, with the amount of drama that this woman has survived on to, 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 to make a career out of, if she's the one divorcing you, that's where you know it's a Kanye problem. So, I don't know, man. I think this this uh, particular segment turned into from doing something at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium to people thinking that he's doing something innovative. And, yeah, it just kind of spiraled in between. But, nonetheless, those are my thoughts on it. I could be a hater right now. You guys let me know what you think because I'm curious to hear your thoughts as always. And now it is time for the final segment of the show. I will keep you waiting no longer with that. And on that note, who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the Wankster of the Week. And this week's Wankster of the Week goes to retired NBA player Gilbert Arenas. Now, Gilbert Arenas is getting the Wankster of the Week because... He disrespected the Raptors. And it's not that I am not impartial to the disrespect of the Raptors because I've heard it many, many times before. But it's how he disrespected the Raptors that really got me going. He disrespected the Raptors by saying that their championship did not count. And he didn't even really elaborate on how it didn't count. He just said, it's Canada. That's it. Didn't count. Kawhi ended up leaving anyway. Huh. Gilbert Arenas. Gilbert Arenas. Isn't this the same nigga who let a third-year LeBron punk him at the free throw line and made him miss in crunch time? Hmm? Anyone remember that? Isn't this the same nigga who killed his own career by drawing guns at a bench warmer that owed him chump change in a card game? Don't shoot, Arenas. Don't shoot. Isn't this the same nigga who had to make himself relevant again by co-hosting a podcast with a porn star who's probably taking more shots than him? Shouts to Mia Khalifa, by the way. And this is currently a nigga who is playing in a league with glorified geriatric has-beens that couldn't even get themselves a G League contract at this point in what's left of their careers. This nigga needs to pipe down and keep his mouth shut. That was all Gilbert Arenas in a nutshell. And he's the one trying to say that the Raptors championship didn't count. My God, you never even made it past the first round in your NBA career. And you're going to try and dictate as to whether or not a championship counts? 
This guy's a wankster of the week. There's no question about it. He will forever be a wankster for killing his own NBA career because a player owed him $500 when he was on the middle of a $60 million contract. But he's out here basically committing a felony for $500? Bro, your contract didn't count. If anything, your career didn't count. Get the fuck out of here with this shit. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to wrap up uh, today's podcast. I want to thank y'all for tuning in as you normally do. Keep it locked. We got a lot more in store for you in the coming weeks to follow. And as always, speaking of following, you can follow the show on multiple platforms at Cool Radio CC on social media. And whatever podcast you're listening to this on, whether it's SoundCloud, whether it's Google Google Podcasts, whether it's uh, what you call it, Spotify, please like us, subscribe to us. Give us a rating. Leave us a comment if you can. It would definitely be helpful and appreciative. Helps out with the algorithms and all those good stuff. But nonetheless, it is your man, DM Cool. And as always, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.